the death toll in Wednesday's strong tremor rises to six. Philippine Justice Secretary Crispine Remulla assures the International Criminal Court government will comply with the deadline for its comment on the Duterte drug war probe. International law expert Harry Roque will join us later for a discussion on that. Meanwhile, Secretary Remulla wants to expand, not abolish the agency tasked to go after the ill-gotten wealth of the Marcoses. We'll tackle that with former PCGG Commissioner Ruben Carranza. And the father of the suspect in the bloody Ateneo shooting killed in Lamitan, Basila. Hi, I'm Carmina Constantino. Dateline Philippines begins right now. Thanks for joining us. For those of you watching us on YouTube and on Facebook, glad you could join us today. Topping the midday news, the death toll in Wednesday's powerful Luzon quake has risen to six. The latest fatality was recorded in Ilocos Sur. Four others remain missing. The Philippine Disaster Agency says 136 individuals were injured in the tremor. Over 79,000 people were also affected. The heavily affected regions po are Cordillera region as well as uh, Ilocos mm-hmm. region. So all um, the search and rescue operations are centered there. Uh, the assessments are also centered there, especially the uh, heritage sites that have been affected yeah. in uh, Ilocos province. The Philippine Health Department says there has been no interruptions in health services in Ambra following Wednesday's strong tremor. But Assistant Health Secretary Nestor Santiago says the Ambra Provincial Hospital was damaged. Patients had to be relocated into tents and makeshift operating room was set up. Those needing intensive care were referred to nearby hospitals. A team from the health department's central office will also put up a hospital tent to support operations there. Ang tent hospital po, nandun yung mga services ng medical, surgical services na magagawa dun sa isang malaking tent hospital habang hindi pa pinapayagan na magamit yung building ng provincial hospital. So depende po sa assessment ng mga engineers kung kailan sila pababalikin. Pero yung ating uh, tent hospital na ilalagay, baka good for 14 days. Abra was placed under a state of calamity Thursday. The Migrant Workers Department will provide cash assistance to quake victims who have a family member working abroad. The agency will allocate 20 million pesos for the financial aid program. It says cash distribution will begin once disaster management officials complete their damage assessment. The other day, uh, the Secretary Tutsople uh, ordered the Overseas Workers Welfare Administration to set aside 20 million pesos. Ano, para sa, well, this is additional aid to uh, mga OFW families. Now, uh, we're hinihintay natin yung, ano, no, yung uh, damage and needs assessment. 
that should be coming from the uh, National uh, Disaster Risk uh, Reduction Management Council and the provincial uh, DRRMCs. Ano? Uh, bakit natin kailangan yun? Because uh, para ma-identify po natin yung mga lugar kung saan talaga medyo mabigat yung pananalata na uh, nangyari because of the ano, no? because of the earthquake. In other news, an economist lauds President Marcus's first State of the Nation address for sidestepping all the populist policies that were so common under the Duterte administration. But as Warren de Guzman tells us, at least one businessman still expects Marcos to make an attempt at one populist promise, the 20 peso per kilo rice. Foundation for Economic Freedom President and Economist Calixto Chiquiamco was greatly encouraged by President Ferdinand Marcos Jr.'s State of the Nation address because of one thing that was noticeably absent. What was missing in SONA is actually a good thing. What was missing was uh, references to uh, 20 peso uh, uh, you know, rice, uh, reviewing the rice tarification law and other protectionist measures, you know, and populist measures. I didn't see any populism unlike the one of uh, President Duterte, you know. So that was, that to me, the absence of references to that was actually a very good thing, you know, uh, that he didn't uh, revert to that uh, usual populism. For businessman Henry Limbon Leong of the Federation of Filipino-Chinese Chambers of Commerce and Industry Incorporated, however, while the president did not discuss his campaign promise of 20 pesos per kilo rice, the sauna still set the stage for a deeper commitment to farming, which will help achieve that goal. President Marcos, no? Bongbong Marcos, is really putting himself as the head of the uh, Department of Agriculture. It means that he's giving very importance to this department. Because as you see, no? Uh, the Department of Agriculture for so many years no, has been the laggards no, of all departments no, that they only produce a very low GDP growth. Food prices has been going up, uh, hogs, uh, chicken, uh, even fish. And uh, you know that uh, DBM, when he was saying that he would like to uh, sell rice at 20 pesos per kilo, I'm sure if he was able to, do, he would be able to do that, then we can drive down inflation. And hopefully, uh, with what we are trying to do and collaborate with the farmers, uh, we are giving him, uh, of course, uh, uh, the weapon uh, to try to lower it to 20 pesos. Lim, however, admits the 20 peso per kilo rice goal will likely be feasible if it is only sold to those who need it most. For the Philippine Exporters Confederation, they welcome the president's commitment to continue and even expand infrastructure spending, even though it was not clear where the funding would come from. Cannot reconcile the fact that they are saying there will be no new taxes uh, and, uh, and uh, that there will be no additional borrowings. And I think that's the message we're getting. You know? So I do not know <coughs> how we can uh, do the other projects on build, build, build unless uh, we raise the money somehow. So hopefully, I, I trust the economic managers that they will be able to solve this problem. 
Budget specialist Ziza Suzara found it odd as well that the president vowed to fund new departments such as the Department of Overseas Filipino Workers and the proposed Department of Water and aggressively cut government debt and deficit levels while only announcing neutral tax reform measures and e-taxes to help boost revenues. Suzara and other members of the academe found it even more concerning that President Marcos did not discuss how to plug budget leaks, also known as corruption. While the fiscal policy was heavily um, discussed, like I said um, earlier during my presentation, fiscal policy will only benefit society if it's contingent on addressing democratic um, deficits. And I think as um, part of civil society, we need to be able to um, reclaim that space and participate in um, democratic governance so that fiscal policy will benefit not just the elites, not just um, politicians. The president uh, mentioned that uh, uh, the, the government will invest a lot in infrastructure, social services, uh, health provision. So uh, that requires also uh, rationalizing the tax uh, system. So if you, uh, you want to collect more from taxpayers, then uh, the citizens as taxpayers should also be assured that uh, there would be no leakage and uh, there have been leakages as, uh, yeah. as uh, estimated by even by the ombudsman uh, so uh, and he did not even talk about the need to strengthen the ombudsman Philippine Chamber of Commerce and Industry President George Barcelon, however, believes the new administration will make the right moves to ensure a strong economic recovery for all. He is even willing to go along with even more government borrowings to achieve this, in spite of sizable debts incurred under the Duterte administration. Uh, let us put this in the right perspective. No? Uh, the, uh, of course, we carry more debt because of the COVID-19 of course, it, but we are in no worse situation than the other countries. They spent, because all of this is unexpected. But what I can say is our debt to GDP has gone beyond. That day, our target is about 40%. Now it's gone broken 60% or further. But we're comfortable with that because of the fact that other countries, yung debt nila to GDP is 100% to 150%. Singapore, Japan, if you look at their data, their debt to GDP is much, much higher. So I remember what uh, former Secretary Isain Lomega said. That should be no hindrance no, to, uh, to, for us to move forward, even if necessary, to take in more debt. As long as the debt that we take in is being used prudently, the sauna covered a lot of ground, but many in the business and academic community want more specifics on the president's plans. Warren de Guzman, ABS-CBN News. President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. meets with concerned government officials to discuss the International Criminal Court's probe into his predecessor's bloody drug war. Mike Navalia reports. He may have left out mentioning the International Criminal Court in his first State of the Nation address on Monday, but President Ferdinand Bombo Marcos Jr. on Wednesday convened his top legal officials to talk about the ICC's probe on the drug war in the country. 
In a Facebook post initially shared by former presidential spokesperson Harry Roque on Facebook, the president could be seen with Roque, Chief Presidential Legal Counsel Juan Ponce Enrile, Executive Secretary Vic Rodriguez, Solicitor General Minardo Guevara, Justice Secretary Boying Remulia, Foreign Affairs Secretary Enrique Manalo, and the Chief of the DFA Legal Affairs Office, Assistant Secretary Domingo Nolasco. Roque said he was there as private counsel. Guevara said the government's position on the ICC investigation was the only agenda, but he remains mum on the details, leaving it to the president to make any disclosure. Remulio also said, wait for Malacanang's announcement. But this early, he shared his personal thoughts on the issue, consistent with the government's position so far. My personal opinion, and it, it can be shared by some members of the people who I met with yesterday, but it's my opinion that they have no jurisdiction over our country when it comes to, to these things that they, they want to investigate because we are not anymore members of the ICC. If we accede to, we're still part of the treaty, then we accede to the treaty, but we're not anymore part of it. We have withdrawn from it. That said, Rimulia made clear the Philippines is ready to comply with the September 8th deadline imposed by the ICC pretrial chamber for the Philippine government to comment on ICC prosecutor Karim Khan's request to resume the probe in the Philippines after finding that the country has failed to show it has investigated or is investigating crimes within the ICC's jurisdiction. The, the investigations are ongoing. They're, they're, not, they're not being stopped. They're being pursued. If they ask for a report, we would give them a report uh, out of committee, out of, of a friendship with them, out of decency. We'll give it to them if they ask for it. But uh, for us to say that we are under them now, I think it's another matter. Uh, uh, this has to be threshed out properly in international law. International law. But of course, we maintain our sovereignty. Rimulia also clarified Roque's involvement in the meeting. He said President Marcos is not a party to the ICC case, but they consulted Roque because of his expertise in international law. He cannot be, he cannot be appointed because he was uh, a candidate for senator. So we are consulting him because he's the only lawyer, uh, the only Filipino lawyer in the roster of the ICC, and I think even the ICJ. It is forte. So we might as well... At a press conference Thursday morning, the Department of Foreign Affairs said they are still consulting the lead agencies on the issue, the DOJ and the OSG, as to the next steps with respect to the ICC probe. But the department's newly installed spokesperson reiterated the official government narrative. The Philippines underscores that it has the primary jurisdiction to investigate and prosecute a crime against humanity allegedly being committed in the context of an anti-illegal drugs campaign. As the court of last resort, the ICC complements but does not replace national courts. It only operates in cases where national jurisdictions are unable or unwilling to prosecute. Daza added whether or not the Philippines will rejoin the ICC would still be subject to further consultations. Mike Devalio, ABS-CBN News. Well, there's just a little over a month left before the deadline imposed by the ICC for the Philippine government to comment on the request of the prosecutor, Prosecutor Karim Khan, to resume their drug war probe lapses. Joining us now for his take on the issue is former presidential spokesperson Harry Roque. He is also past president of the Asian Society of International Law. Attorney Roque, good afternoon to you and thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the program. 
Good afternoon, Carmina, and good afternoon, Philippines. All right. So let's uh, let's start off from there, from that report. What is expected to happen between now and the 8th of September? Well, as uh, Justice Secretary Remulia said, no, there is a deadline for the Philippine government to submit its observations on the finding of the ICC prosecutor informing the court that he will resume his preliminary investigation on the uh, drug war in the Philippines. So the um, compliance expected from the Philippine government is submission of observation on the um, findings of the prosecutor, which asks also for leave from the court to resume his preliminary investigation. Attorney Roque, the ICC has what you call a list of counsel. Tell us about this and who is qualified to be part of that list of counsel. Well, the list of counsel exists. No? It consists of 34 pages. And these are individuals who have been pre-screened by the court registrar who are qualified to represent the accused or victims no? in cases pending in the um, International Criminal Court. No? But as of now, although I'm in the list counsel, since there is still no individual being investigated in the ICC, there is no list. There is no need for a list counsel to be involved. Mm. So you still remain part of the list council even after the withdrawal of uh, the Philippines from the ICC? Yes, of course, because um, it is not just Filipinos who can retain us. It is any individual, any nationality who may have to deal with the International Criminal Court. Mm -hmm. And was that clear to President uh, Duterte then, who was your principal, that you were going to remain on uh, the list of council despite his misgivings about uh, the, 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 the body? Yes, the list of counsel is formulated or prepared by the uh, uh, registrar of the court on the basis of proven competence in the fields of international criminal law and international law. A couple of days ago, Attorney Roque, you posted a picture um, on Facebook showing that you were in a meeting with President uh, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. and his legal team. In the caption, in the caption you wrote, was there as private counsel? In a report by Rappler, um, they reported that in a text message to them, you said that you were there as private counsel to President Marcos. So the question now is, Attorney Roque, why would a current head of state need the services of um, a private counsel when he's not even the subject of the case pending before the ICC? Well, the attorney-client relation is only for the purposes of, for the sole purpose of ensuring confidentiality. No, whenever I'm consulted by the president on any legal matter. No, remember, I'm no longer in government. I'm not covered by the so-called executive privilege, which is a principle which states that any matter of um, or, or any exchange of information between a cabinet member and the president remains privileged and can't even be divulged in Congress without the consent of the president. But as a private practicing lawyer, I'm not subject to that, except that since he gave me 20 pesos as, um, as um, consideration for attorney-client um, uh, relationship, any communication between me and the president henceforth remains privileged. Um. So you still haven't answered my question because my, my question wasn't even about the meeting. It's about, you know, a current head of state hiring the services of a private Well, of course, the president... So even uh, if he's not part um, yes. of the case before uh, the I ICC, why would that happen? Services of a private counsel. Well, in the ICC... 
uh, there is a duty to cooperate from uh, on the part of state parties. We're no longer a state party, but the ICC uh, considers the view that uh, we have a duty to cooperate on all matters which happen at the time when we were a member of the ICC. So the president eventually will have to determine if he will cooperate or not because the subject of inquiry happened during the period when the Philippines was officially a member of the ICC. Hmm. Now, because he is no longer head of state, how will President Duterte defend himself before the ICC? Well, let me clarify that the president, former President Duterte, is not yet the subject of any preliminary investigation. The ongoing investigation has to do with the drug war itself. There has not been any individual who has been named as uh, being the subject of a preliminary investigation. And as such, uh, President um, Rodrigo Duterte has not availed of his right to counsel. No? So right now, the investigation is addressed to the Philippine ambassador, and any response by the, by the Philippine government will have to be coursed through the Philippine um, ambassador at the head. All right, so let's go into the preliminary examination now. What must this government, the current government, present that would prove that the justice system here in the Philippines is working? Well, let me clarify that uh, we have moved on to the next stage because the preliminary examination is not even a formal um, part of the uh, procedure in the ICC. It is a preliminary investigation, which is now akin to a preliminary investigation being undertaken by a, a Filipino fiscal. No? So at this level, they have to present probable cause to indict any individual, and the definition of probable cause is identical to Philippine law. No? A probability that a crime was committed and that the perpetrator is probably guilty thereof. Except that the ICC is unique because there is the issue of admissibility, there is an additional bar. In addition to jurisdiction over the subject matter and over the person, they must prove that the principle of complementarity has been satisfied and that the um, the, um, um, the, 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 the additional requirement is that the state involved is unable or unwilling to prosecute the crime itself. So what we need to prove is, number one, there is no inability, there is no unwillingness. I think the um, unwillingness is um, easy to prove because we do not have any impunity statute. Presidents, in fact, only enjoy um, immunity from suits during their term of office. And from our recent history, two presidents were charged immediately after their terms of office ended. So what is now being established is the... Um, um, inability, no? And the inability, of course, on the basis of pending cases um, currently being heard by the court, which involves countries like Sudan, Mali, Central African Republic, involve the issue of whether or not there's a functioning government or a functioning legal system that can exercise primary jurisdiction over these international crimes. And it has always been my contention, outside of any advice I give to the president, that as a member of the Philippine Bar, that we have working legal system, that we are able to prosecute individuals for crimes within the cognizance of the ICC because we have an international humanitarian law duly enacted by Congo. All right, actually. 
Yeah, Attorney Roque, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm having problems with my internet here. I don't know if it's you, I don't know if it's me, but um, we'll try to get this uh, across. Um, how confident are you that with all of all of the things that you just said, that the ICC will indeed see it um, that way and the preliminary investigation will end there? The whole, the, the whole process will end there with the preliminary investigation, Attorney Roque. Confident. Why? Because look at the countries where the um, ICC continued their prosecution beyond the stage of preliminary investigation. These are states with no functioning government. And I don't think any Filipino lawyer would acknowledge that we do not have a functioning legal system in the Philippines. We have never agreed when we became a part of the ICC to surrender our sovereignty and jurisdiction to the court. And that is why the principle is known as complementarity, because the ICC will only complement national jurisdiction. And I believe that um, any, any individual will uh, agree with us no? that we have a working legal system in the Philippines. Attorney Roque, a couple of days back, I was able to speak with uh, CHR's attorney, uh, Jacqueline Deguia. And according to her, the Commission on Human Rights is, of course, pushing for the reinstatement of the membership of the Philippines to the ICC. Do you believe that it's now time to become a member once again of the ICC? Well, our um, ratification of the ICC is one of the accomplishments that um, I'm very proud of because I was um, chairperson of the um, convener of the Philippine Coalition for the ICC when we acceded. I think the reason for us to withdraw is justified, and that is because the then prosecutor violated the very basis by which we gave our consent to be bowed, and that is that we never surrendered primary jurisdiction over these crimes. If the court can illustrate to the Philippine government and that the Filipino people that they will honor this principle of complementarity, and they can do so now by allowing our domestic um, institutions not to function, perhaps we should reconsider our withdrawal. Well, that's coming from you, someone who pushed the country's membership into the ICC and later on helped the Duterte administration withdraw from it. Two years into the Duterte regime, how do you reconcile both statements? Well, because as I said, no, it was the correct decision because the then prosecutor violated the very basis by which we agreed to be bound by um, the Rome Statute, and that is that we have never surrendered our primary jurisdiction to crimes, to prosecute crimes cognizable of ICC. So they now have to convince the Philippine government and the Filipino people that the very um, concept of sovereignty will be respected by the ICC. And I think the whole world is looking at the Philippine case because we're not like Ukraine. We're not like Sudan. We have a functioning legal system and no other country in Asia, I can assure you, will agree to be a member of the ICC if they continue this prosecution against President Duterte because everyone will now... Um, think that sovereignty will be ignored by the court, and it might just be the beginning of the end of the ICC. And finally, Attorney Roque, people are not just looking into the ICC, the country's response to the investigation. They're also looking at you. People started to question um, once again, your allegiance, your flip-flopping. Uh, you were against the Marcuses, uh, then you were for Duterte, now you're for the Marcuses. What do you tell people who have been questioning your allegiance and uh, who have basically called you a flip-flopper? Well, I've been very clear. I support the living Marcos. 
And I leave it at that because I don't think the son should be held responsible for anything that the father did. And we're going to have to leave it at that. Attorney Harry Rocket, the international law expert, past president as well of the Asian Society of International Law. Really appreciate you joining us today. Take care and you keep safe. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You too. Now, going back to our top story, the death toll in Wednesday's quake has gone up to six. The latest victim was found in Ilocosur. Our very own Joyce Balancho now joins us with an update. Joyce, over to you. Yes, Carmina, the National Disaster Risk Reduction and Management Council, or the NDRMC, reported that as of 11 o'clock earlier, there are now six casualties caused by the magnitude 7 earthquake that jolted northern Luzon on Wednesday. The newest case, Carmina, is from Ilocosur, and as of the moment, the council is still completing the details of the said victim. 37 evacuation sites are being used by various local government units, housing 1,158 individuals who left their homes. 850 families are considered displaced as they refused to go to evacuation sites and opted to stay in open spaces near their houses. And the RRMC spokesperson Mark Timbal said tents are now being distributed to these families. Support and assistance from the government won't be a problem, he also said, as there are enough funds to augment the budgets of the local government units. Timbal noted that the national government has 323 million pesos as standby funds apart from the 1 billion pesos worth of food and non-food items that are ready to be given to affected provinces. Distribution is also made easier as the government utilizes aerial assets to deliver the goods and supplies since many roads remain closed due to damage and security issues. Carmina and the RMC is also monitoring the weather condition in the next days since Pag-asa also noted or spotted a low-pressure area in the extreme northern Luzon. Carmina. Thanks a lot. Joyce Balancho there joining us live. Take care, Joyce, and you keep safe. We're going to take a break now. Up ahead, the Chinese city where the pandemic is believed to have originated back under lockdown. Details of that story and more when Dateline Philippines returns. Stay with us here on ANC. We're back with more news. You're still watching Dateline Philippines here on ANC. Residents in Ilocosur still reeling from the effects of the recent Luzon quake. Our correspondent Adrian Ayalin is uh, in Vigan and he joins us now with an update. Adrian, over to you. Yes, Carmina, inspection of uh, business establishments, um, government buildings, and of course, ancestral houses here in Vegan City is in full swing uh, to fast track the reopening of uh, most businesses here, especially hotels, restaurants, and um, others. Um, uh, since um, uh, we all know that uh, Vegan City is a uh, is a uh, tourist uh, uh, it's a tourism uh, tourist uh, destination um, with the uh, heritage houses here, the cobblestone um, uh, streets, the uh, city engineer's office is uh, leading this um, endeavor, this um, project. Um, the uh, certification of uh, business establishments um, as to uh, their safety um, is being done um, two ways. Either uh, the business establishment can wait for the city engineering, uh, city engineers team uh, or city engineers office uh, team along with their volunteers or on their own, they can contact a uh, private um, engineer, structural engineer or civil engineer who will um, certify their building uh, safe for business 
and um, occupancy. Um, according to um, architect uh, Christian uh, Nico Pilotin, uh, one of the, uh, the heads of the city engineer's office, um, what they are conducting right now is some level one assessment. This is a rapid assessment of the um, structures. There are no equipment um, being used right now. Uh, visuals will be used um, if there will be um, cracks um, in, in the, on the walls. Um, these have uh, these are the parameters of the of their um, inspection right now because again um, involving um, equipment would mean that uh, there would be uh, more time and they have to inspect more than 200 um, ancestral houses and um, buildings that's why some private um, some private um, establishments or businesses are uh, employing or are hiring um, private um, engineering and architectural uh, firms one of the um, houses or the uh, businesses that were inspected was um, Casabella Corazon owned by um, Charmaine Lim, um, also here within uh, the uh, historic um, area of uh, Vegan City. Um, the, uh, the city engineer's office and the uh, private volunteers uh, went to her house. There were damage um, um, seen in her bed and breakfast, but those are not structural damage. Uh, the uh, bathroom mirror and uh, the uh, glass of the, uh, the uh, furniture uh, were shattered because of the magnitude 7 uh, earthquake. But um, structurally, um, there were no visible uh, damage uh, to her, um, to her uh, ancestral house, which is now also serving as a bed and a breakfast inn. So the, uh, the uh, volunteer engineers and the city engineer's office um, uh, were there. Um, also, the dean of the uh, University of Northern Philippines, um, architect uh, Fatima Rabang Alonso, was there. And um, sh we asked her um, the, about the um, integrity of the remaining or of the structures that were not affected, the uh, structures that uh, did not have any um, cracks on its walls. And uh, she explained that um, the uh, ancestral houses were well built. Uh, what we have seen um, uh, as to uh, the uh, damage on the uh, buildings here, the, the uh, structures that crumbled, those were actually um, already uh, ruins of um, old uh, structures. And if, uh, for example, if a structure only has um, walls and there's no roof to, uh, to uh, tie everything up, um, it, it's, um, it, it's bound to uh, crumble because of the earthquake. But generally, she is saying that, um, that, uh, that the uh, houses here, ancestral houses here, are structurally uh, sound and can uh, perhaps um, survive another um, earthquake. Um, so again, um, the, uh, the city engineer's office is, um, is uh, spearheading this um, inspection to fast-track the reopening of um, businesses. Uh, slowly but surely, uh, we have seen uh, some uh, fast food chains opening this uh, morning and we are also expecting that other restaurants and other hotels will follow suit. Carmina? Thanks a lot. Adrian Ayalin there joining us live from Vegan in Ilocosur. Adrian, take care. Keep safe. Well, life is slowly going back to normal in Quick Hit Mountain Province. Our correspondent Robert Mano now joins us with details. Robert, over to you. Carmina, after the damage assessment and local infrastructure audit of different offices and buildings in the provincial capital of Mountain Province that sustained minor damages, it was declared now safe for occupancy. Therefore, the work in the provincial government resumes today. Meantime, in the town of Bauco, there are buildings that are unsafe for occupancy, including the mayor's office. According to Mayor Randolph Awisan, the building should be repaired first before they can occupy it again. Some areas here still don't have power supply because of damaged poles. 
548 houses were partially damaged and five were totally damaged. Affected residents are now staying in their relatives because the evacuation center was also destroyed by the quake. The local government continues to monitor their situations and distributed family food packs and hygiene kits. In the agriculture sector, the estimated cost of damage is roughly 3 million pesos. Carmina, Mayor Awisan is now asking the national government for immediate assistance to the residents affected by the earthquake. Carmina. Thanks a lot, Robert Banu there, joining us live. Uh, Robert, take care and you keep safe. Well, FIVOX reminds residents of Abra and nearby areas... to check the integrity of houses and structures as it expects aftershocks to be frequent within the first three days following a major earthquake. Vivian Gulia now tells us how to determine if your home is compromised. Over 800 aftershocks have been recorded by the Philippine Institute of Volcanology and Seismology nearly two days since a magnitude 7 earthquake struck Abra. More than 20 of these are strong enough to be felt. Fivox expects aftershocks to be frequent at the epicenter and nearby areas within the first three days from the major earthquake. Kung meron sira yung bahay, may, ngayon minor crack lang yan. Pero kung may at maya, aalugin mo yung bahay. So magde-deteriorate kumbaga. And uh, siguro yung maliit na crack ngayon, after two days, three days, baka malaking crack na, which could lead na sa pag-collapse ng bahay. Huwag mo nang i-re-re-occupy So, until such time na uh, let's say na check na ng mga municipal engineer or kung sino mang responsible officials na knowledgeable how to assess ang structural integrity po ng bahay. Structural engineers remind the public it is important to check a structure's columns, beams, floor and walls for damage following a quake. They say minor cracks are not a cause for concern, but in cases of huge cracks on columns, misaligned beams, tilting walls, or sinking floors, residents are advised to seek assistance from an engineer for further assessment and advice. As long as walang makikitang malaking bitak dun sa mga, sa mga structural elements, uh, maaring masabi natin na pwede pa tong tirahan. Kapag uh, malalaki na yung cracks, uh, na nabasag yung poste, lumundo yung biga, nag-deflect siya or bumaba, uh, ito maaring sign to na delikado na yung, yung bahay. No? Pag malalang damages, siguro hindi na yan kayang i-repair lang. No? Mas magandang i-reconstruct mo na kasi tutumba na yan. Pag sinabi natin malala ang damage. Pag medium, uh, pwede pa yung i-repair, no? pwedeng tukuran, pwedeng uh, dagdagan ng size ng mga poste kung maliliit, okay? pwedeng dagdagan ng bakal. In Marikina, city engineers inspected government establishments, schools and other public structures following Wednesday's tremor. Walang damage dito sa city. The city engineer says the LGU is also conducting an annual inspection of structures to check their integrity, also in preparation for the so-called Big One. According to a study, should the Big One or a magnitude 7.2 earthquake hit the 100-kilometer West Valley Fault traversing areas in the greater Metro Manila, its shaking may be very destructive for the National Capital Region and parts of nearby provinces.
2013 Risk Analysis Project by FIVOS, UP Institute of Civil Engineering, and Geoscience Australia estimates the big one to cause around 31,000 deaths, over half a million injuries, and economic losses of up to 2.2 trillion pesos. Itong West Valley Fault, sa ayon sa mga pag-aaral ng PBOLX, gumalaw ito, di ba? Uh, may, may mga frequency ng paggalaw, yung last yata ay 400 years ago, no? So, ibig sabihin yan, eh, baka malapit ang gumalaw yan. No? Hindi lang natin alam kung kailan eksakto ang petsa. It's already right and it, anytime oh, a big way. Handa ba ang mga kalidad ng mga bahay at pasali na hindi sila babagsak kapag lumindol? Diyan po tayo mahina. We need to strengthen especially mga residential buildings at mag-focus din ang government sa mga critical government facilities. Hospital, eskwelahan. At sarili natin mga bahay. Structural engineers stress the importance of complying with the National Structural Code of the Philippines or NSCP 2015. Yung ating NSCP, uh, nakadesign yung ating mga struktura na mag-resist ng magnitude 7 to 8.3 na earthquake. Nakalagay din dito sa ating uh, NSCP, sa ating code, na dapat uh, magkaroon tayo ng mga tamang materyales at uh, tamang disenyo. Na yung disenyo, ginagawa yun ng mga structural engineer kung gano'ng kalaming bakal, gano'ng kalaki, gano kalaki yung poste, gano'ng kalaki yung biga. Code compliance ng ating mga buildings ang number one pa rin na pananggalan natin para hindi tayo maging biktima. Fevox and structural engineers add, the public may use the app How Safe Is My House to evaluate if their one- to two-story concrete house is vulnerable to a strong earthquake. They just need to answer 12 questions, including the age of the house, materials used, and the condition of the soil where the structure is built. Experts say the public should not just check their house or building structural integrity after an earthquake, but more importantly, before a big one hits. Vivian Gulia, ABS-CBN News. episode, we take a trip down memory lane to see the cars of past Philippine presidents from Aguinaldo to Arroyo and what their choices say about them and the times they lived in. Then we'll fast forward to the present and suggest some possible presidential limousines for the current head of state. More news, the southwest monsoon pulled by a low-pressure area is expected to bring heavy rains to parts of Luzon, including Metro Manila. Let's get an outlook on the weather now from ABS-CBN's resident meteorologist, Ariel Rojas. Ariel, over to you. Hi, good afternoon, Carmina. The tropical depression outside the Philippine area of responsibility intensified into a tropical storm and was given the international name Songda. It's headed towards southern Japan and will not be affecting the country's weather. Meanwhile, the low-pressure area over the Philippine Sea continues to move slowly over the 
Ocean. It was last located some 880 kilometers east of extreme northern Luzon. Uh, according to Pagasa, in the next 24 hours, it's highly probable that it will develop or intensify into a tropical depression and will be named Esther. The LPA is currently pulling the Habagat, which brings cloudiness and rains here in Metro Manila, Bataan, Calabarzon, Bicol Region, Mimaropa, and most of the Visayas. Flooding and landslides are possible in these areas. Thunderstorms are also expected in other parts of the country with intense ones in Pangasinan and Central Luzon this afternoon and in the evening in northern Mindanao. Habagat will continue to prevail in southern Luzon and parts of the Visayas tomorrow, but will weaken by Sunday. Rainy weather will still be experienced in Mimaropa, Calabarzon, Bicol Region, and western Visayas, while Metro Manila will also have over overcast skies with intermittent trains this weekend. That's the latest on the weather. This is Ariel Rojas. Happy weekend and stay safe, Kapamilia. Back to you, Carmina. Thanks a lot, Ariel. Take care and you keep safe. Active COVID-19 cases in the Philippines nearing 30,000. That's after the health department reported 3,858 new infections Thursday. It's the highest daily tally in over five months. More than 1,000 of the new cases were from Metro Manila. The DOH confirms the capital region is now at moderate risk for COVID-19, but it insists the entire country is still classified as low risk. Meanwhile, 900 more cases of the highly transmissible Omicron subvariants have been detected. The BA.5 again made up the majority at 900, make that 890. Moving on, Justice Secretary Crispin Remulia LA's fears the agency tasked to go after the ill-gotten wealth of the family of President Ferdinand Marcus Jr. will be abolished. Ramula says he actually wants to expand the mandate of the PCGG. Let's get a reaction on this from former PCGG Commissioner Attorney Ruben Carranza. He now joins us from New York, I believe. Attorney Carranza, good afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. All right. So um, this is nothing new. We heard it from uh, then-candidate, or I think it was uh, when he was waiting to be proclaimed, uh, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. then saying that he might just expand the role of the PCGG. And now we're hearing it from Justice Secretary Crispin Remula. I want to get your thoughts about the concept, the idea of the expansion of the role of the PCGG, Attorney Carranza. Expansion here is just another word for dilution to dilute the function of the PCGG in specifically going after the family of Ferdinand Marcos, including the president of the Philippines right now, as well as the cronies of the Marcos family. And it's also another way of using the PCGG to go after Marcos cronies who have refused to give up what the Marcos family thinks are their share in ill-gotten assets that according to the Marcos family, the cronies only hold for them temporarily. So it's a way of, like I said, diluting the functions of the PCGG, as well as a way of going after Marcos cronies. Mm. You, you sort of stop short there by saying that they can actually weaponize the PCGG. Is that your concern as well? Well, it's, it's, it's my concern, but more than that, um, it, it's also using the PCGG itself to defeat the very idea of recovering ill-gotten wealth from the Marcos family. Mm. 
Now, because it's being talked about now, but in the future, of course, you mentioned the dilution. That is a very clear concern right there. But what else could be the reverberating effects of the expansion of the PCGG even after uh, the Marcos Jr. administration ends? The Justice Secretary appointed by Marcos Jr. Uh, himself would know uh, what the reverberations are for Marcos Cronis. Uh, his family, the Rimulia family, in fact, still has a pending case according to the records of the PCGG under Rodrigo Duterte. Uh, in, in their own accomplishment report uh, in 2021, the PCGG under Duterte lists civil case 0062, Republic of the Philippines versus Remulia, as one of the pending cases uh, in the Sandigan Bayan. So many of these cases are still pending before the Sandigan Bayan or in the Supreme Court, as well as in the United States. In the United States alone, uh, there are cases involving the Arelma assets that is still to be returned from the United States to the Philippines. There are cases involving paintings and other uh, ill-gotten wealth that was recovered from the aid of Imelda Marcos named Vilma Bautista, who was already convicted of tax fraud in the United States. Uh, there are several cases still pending that need to be enforced in the sense that they've been decided by the Philippine Supreme Court, but the PCGG, the Solicitor General, and perhaps the Department of Justice under whom the PCGG has been placed in 2007 should enforce them. A good example of this is the Bataan Nuclear Power Plant case decided by the Supreme Court last year, where the Supreme Court said that the cousin of Ferdinand Marcos Jr., the late Herminio de Cine, and therefore now the heirs, the cousins of Ferdinand Marcos Jr., are the ones who owe 1 billion pesos uh, as money obtained by Herminio de Cine through bribery that they now have to return to the Philippines. What will happen to that? Uh, he's been quiet about that. He hasn't said anything about it. But these are actually obligations of the Marcos family uh, that still have to be fulfilled. Yeah, let me digress here a bit and talk about the BNPP. Uh, the president uh, in his latest State of the Nation address also saying that he wants to re-examine the use of nuclear energy. Um, in another interview, he also mentioned the Bataan nuclear power plant. Can you actually revisit that, re-examine the BNPP without settling the obligations, Attorney Carranza? Well, well that's, the, that's the equivalent of double jeopardy in both health and corruption because now you have a nuclear power plant that his father himself stopped the construction of, not only because of the corruption committed by their family member, Herminio Dicini, but also because Marcos dictatorship scientists themselves found that the nuclear power plant is unsafe. So uh, he, he wants to revive an unsafe nuclear power plant, and then he ignores the fact that his family, his cousins, are still obligated to pay back 1 billion pesos to the Filipino people from the bribery that his family committed involving the nuclear power plant. But, but it's not just the nuclear power plant, Carmina. In 2003, when the Philippine Supreme Court said that the Marcos spouses hid stolen money, money stolen from the Filipino people hid them in Switzerland, and that's, those are the words of the Philippine Supreme Court, um, we, we, we did recover $680 million from the Swiss bank accounts. 
But this ruling doesn't only involve those Swiss bank accounts. It involves all the other assets still hidden by the Marcos family. In other words, this ruling can be enforced against all assets of the Marcoses. So the Justice Secretary of Ferdinand Marcos is wrong in saying that there are... I, I read a quotation from him. He said, the assets being to be recovered are dwindling. The assets to be recovered are not dwindling. They're hidden. How would he know that they're dwindling if, if, he, if he does not want to look for them? Mm. So going back to the recovery of the Marcus ill-gotten wealth, I mean, here we are, we're talking about the PCGG possibly expanding its role um, to uh, go after other uh, corrupt officials. Um, but even beyond or even before that expansion, can you actually, can the PCGG actually perform its original mandate under the presidency of Marcus Jr., Attorney Carranza? Well, the PCGG has a technically a good recovery rate, given its budget over time and given the amount of money it has recovered, 174 billion pesos, uh, with 125 billion pesos more in assets still to be recovered. Uh, it has been able to perform, notwithstanding the institutional weakness, notwithstanding the political obstacles in place, notwithstanding the corruption that has been committed undoubtedly by some officials of the commission itself. Uh, the commission has served its purpose and is still serving its purpose. Uh, the, w when the Justice Secretary says he will expand and he will use the PCGG's uh, institutional capacity to preserve forfeited assets, uh, apply this uh, knowledge and capacity to other crimes, to drug trafficking, to smuggling, um, I, I think these measures are measures that he should um, perhaps recommend be legislated separately uh, for, through the agencies that are meant to go after drug traffickers instead of extrajudicial killings, perhaps the Philippine government should actually go after high-level drug lords engaged in high-level trafficking and forfeit their assets. Uh, the same with smuggling, the same with other corrupt uh, officials. But the PCGG was created for a purpose. In fact, under the Philippine Constitution, Article 11, Section 15, and this is to refute the Justice Secretary's, again, quotation that we cannot go after the Marcos family's assets for 100 years. Uh, no, nobody is saying that it will take 100 years. It, it took us a few years, in fact, to litigate and recover $680 million from Switzerland. But under the Constitution, uh, the Constitution, in fact, says that there is no deadline mm. to recover ill-gotten wealth from public officials. So even Marcos Jr., Marcos Jr.'s sons, grandsons, if he ever has grandsons or granddaughters in the future, they will still be liable to return ill-gotten wealth stolen by their grandparents. And we're going to have to leave it at that. Attorney Ruben Carranza right there, former PCGG commissioner, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Take care and you keep safe. Thank you. And that'll do it for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Carmina Constantino. If you want to revisit today's episode, you can play back this newscast on ANC's YouTube channel and on ANC 24-7 on Facebook. Keep safe. Keep it here on ANC.